It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you. Our lines are open 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and ahead on the programme this morning. The future of the South Dock Service. With a shortage of doctors, some local GPs feel that one centre would be enough for Cork City. We saw the debate over the last year or so when the centre in Blackpool closed and people were travelling to the Kinsale Road. Uh, GPs felt, well, it wasn't ideal for people in the north side but at the same time GPs now are looking to the future there's a shortage and the fear is if they keep going with more and more centres outer areas of Cork will suffer you could see reductions in services for example in Beira you could see people from North Cork travelling into the city to avail of South Dock and that is what the future could look like uh, GPs are saying Uh, so we're going to discuss that this morning on the programme politicians are not too happy about this now while GPs are extremely busy and could not join us this morning on the programme. We are going to speak with uh, Sinn Féin, Cork North Central Deputy Thomas Gould on this. And your views are welcome on the future of the South Dock Service. As uh, all of this, again, is going back to lack of workers and in this case, lack of medical teams with regards to GPs. We're also going to hear a call to bring in contractors to carry out road improvement schemes across Cork as the local authority does not have the workforce to carry out these improvements. And why schools are having problems in finding substitute teachers and could we see a situation where schools end up closing due to these shortages? We're going to chat with the Irish Primary Principals Network on that. Also our Gardafal and Pet Advice with Jane after 12.30. If you have a question uh, for a pet in your house, well you can call Bernie right now or text us on 0862103103. That and more to come between now and one o'clock on the programme. But uh, there's going to be a change to our permit system on workers. I mentioned there about GPs because the government is scrapping a cap on lorry drivers from outside Europe which will be now allowed to work in Ireland and now this won't
could fill the huge shortage uh, that we have here of lorry drivers and the nightmare that is looming before Christmas for the haulage industry it won't really improve it at this stage but the Minister of State for Business and Employment and Retail Damien English he has said that uh, the overhaul for the employment permit system for workers outside the European economic area this will allow haulage drivers though into Ireland and hopefully see an improvement over the next year the haulage industry has estimated a shortage here of between 3,000 and 4,000 drivers and within that then not only just for hauliers, more builders, uh, those in hospitality, hospitality managers, uh, those working in horticulture, dairy farm assistants and meat processors will also be allowed to be given these work permits, which will be announced today, later this afternoon. They will announce these uh, changes. And also, I I didn't know we had a shortage of uh, opticians, but we do. And they'll be included within this as well. So it just shows uh, that while we are looking always towards other countries, maybe us leaving Ireland to work, we now need workers here in Ireland and that is why they are changing the permit system and it is evident that we have a shortage of uh, tradesmen in this country and we'll have to wait and see if people will come here to work and if that will make a difference and uh, while that is going on there's a worry amongst the medical teams and scientists and those who work in hospitals because uh, parents have been told to cut down on children's activities outside school amid a worrying Covid surge in those aged 5 to 12 the Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glynn has asked parents uh, regarding their children activities and is basically saying that they need to be engaging in everything they are engaging in but if your children are going on playdates or engaging in sport then think of all the other activities they are engaging in. Now he did not pinpoint any one activity when he was saying this uh, but he more or less said that they should be put on hold which could spark confusion now amongst parents because obviously the overall aim is to reduce contacts and reduce the risk of COVID spread uh, but at a press conference last week when the Taoiseach was asked about trick-or-treating he said children should be enjoying themselves within one week things have changed and really from what they are saying I would imagine if a child has a cold has symptoms it may not be COVID but they have any symptoms of a cold uh, they're saying keep them inside don't go trick-or-treating with them but then some of the uh, tabloids are basically saying and going with headlines saying sick or treat so I suppose that's really up to the parents on what they want to do. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious if your child has a cold these days or has a sniffle that you won't go trick-or-treating just in case it could spread uh, not only COVID but any kind of flu or cold around the place. But uh, they are worried uh, on the future of the numbers going into the winter months. And with that in mind, uh, Tony Houlihan, Tony Houlihan, the the chief medical officer, was asked yesterday about this. And uh, he more or less has said that circuit breaker lockdowns to slow concerning growth in COVID-19 are all but ruled out for now with health chiefs hopeful that safer actions from the public will suppress the virus because whatever recommendations NEFIT make to the government uh, then it's up to the government to implement them or not they may not always implement whatever NEFIT tell them and while some restrictions cannot be taken off the table he said there is a growing concern uh, within NEFIT and indeed within government that the public compliance with remaining COVID rules are slipping Uh, and a lot of people at this stage I think have COVID fatigue Uh, COVID fatigue and that's why 
uh, maybe uh, the rules are slipping because we're living with this so long and while all that's going on then the real effect is on those working on the front line in hospitals and now we're seeing a number of people who are even contacting us their procedures that were planned in hospitals they're now being cancelled because the health system is struggling to cope with the waves of COVID uh, as the case numbers rise a lot of people now are in the up and trolleys and then you have health staff who are either contracting COVID or are sick for other reasons and they're out so hospitals under huge pressure and they are worried about the future and especially over the next number of months as we head into the winter and into the Christmas period and also as more and more of society opens up and we'll have to wait and see what does happen over the next number of days but again uh, the medics all going back and those in Neffet saying just simply back to basics on what they keep saying washing hands uh, taking measures you know social distancing and masks and all of that and I mean, it's easy when you're doing it for so long for people to slip up and it's just a reminder, again, for people just to be careful so we don't end up in a situation like we have done already. But then, you know, for only last weekend and we spoke to the bar owners on this, people were out and about, people were happier, people are living their lives again. Uh, but to do that, then there's a, a consequence. So it's trying to get the balancing act now, I think, as things return to some normality. And as I speak of balancing acts and things uh, opening up, uh, can I wish and say hello to everybody in the Kush restaurant and bar in Ballycotton. Hello to all in Ballycotton because of that. Well, Kush anyhow has been selected uh, by Michelin as part of their official guide to the best places to grab a bite in the UK and Ireland. So well done to the gang there in Kush in Ballycotton. Great to be recognised, I'm sure, for them. And Rory Gallagher, a lot of core connections, of course, for Rory Gallagher. I know the area there, isn't it, around Paul Street, is now called Rory Gallagher Place. And a proposal by Councillor Shane O'Callaghan, the city councillor, to establish a Rory Gallagher Music Festival in Cork was passed by City Council. Uh, so expect that new music festival at some stage. Of course, Rory Gallagher uh, would have played McCroom a number of years ago, and that was a huge festival for the McCroom area. And from McCroom to Fermoy, because I know I spoke about the Scarecrow Festival in Lep during the week, well, you would have heard Barry in news earlier this morning uh, talk about a pumpkin alley in Fermoy, and this looks amazing. Uh, it's going to be transforming Patrick Street in Fermoy, and this is happening uh, from Saturday, this Saturday coming from 3 to 8, where it will be turning into a pumpkin alley, and it's bringing the spirit of Halloween uh, to Fermoy. So, best of luck to everybody there in Fermoy with that. Just sounds like a fantastic idea. And we would have heard yesterday, I suppose, about the uh, ticket touting, and now if you are going into any event in the Aviva whatever price the tickets are that's the price you will pay regardless if somebody else is selling them or if you see them on another website this new rule coming in which is in from midnight uh, you, you basically can't sell whatever the ticket is above the cost price because that's the new rule that is in now to get rid of these ticket touches that are around there the Aviva is included in this I'm sure many other venues will be as well uh, but on gigs well first of all the country music star Garth Brooks He didn't come to Ireland in 2014 over the huge fiasco. We all remember that. But he must have uh, friends in high places because a number of reps here in Ireland have expressed their support for him playing Crow Park five nights. So watch that one uh, for next year because talks are underway and submissions have gone into Dublin City Council. That is one to watch. And while talks continue about Garth coming to Ireland, a major Irish gig announcement is going to be made tomorrow. 
No, I don't think it's Gar Brooks, but the mystery gig, MCD, the promoters are involved in this one. It's going to take place in the Aviva and there's some rumours on who it could be. It could be Adele, it could be Liam Gallagher, but Westlife, of course, have recently recorded a new album, so it could be them. We'll have to wait and see who is that gig for. Uh, a lot of excitement around that one who will be in the Aviva and a lot of controversy in the Duhalo area over the last number of weeks. Well, this mainly was on the former site of the Duhalo Park Hotel uh, regarding a crematorium that was due to be built there. Now a decision on this is going to go ahead on Monday next because we got a few calls during the week on that. It's Monday next, a decision on the crematorium, whether it goes or does not go in there. And we'll have that decision hopefully on the show on Monday. And we spoke a lot about bank holidays on the programme over the last few weeks. And this is because of the government were going to give us all uh, another bank holiday. It's going to be next year now when it's going to happen. And this was due to everybody's hard work over the pandemic. Uh, well, what about an extra bank holiday outside of the work we all did during the pandemic? Because the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, she says she supports making July the 12th a public holiday in a united Ireland. So if that ever goes ahead and the island reunites, uh, Sinn Féin leader says she has no problem marking July the 12th uh, here in the Republic, which would be all one then, uh, as a public holiday. So we'll have another bank holiday if that ever goes ahead. We'll have to wait and see. And here's something I spotted this morning. I think this, if you ever want to get a job, this is one way about going, uh, instead of a CV anyway, about going about it. Uh, this is an actress who is desperate for a part in Emmerdale and she has put her face on a billboard and the billboard she's put her face on is yards away from this soap set. So the billboard basically has a picture of her with a big sign saying cast now and it's giving her details and links to her, her I presume her blog or her LinkedIn profile and her mum has paid for these billboards. They, she paid £1,000 for two billboards. That's actually quite good value. And now I'm not too sure how long the, uh, the, the, the actual billboard advertising is for, uh, but it's not bad for two billboards for £1,000. So one of them is located near the set of Emmerdale, which is based near Leeds. And the second is based near Salford Media City in Manchester. And that is where Coronation Street is located. So... Uh, the mother said she's this isn't for money uh, that her daughter really wants to act it's a passion she has and she feels that she would be an addition to either Imadel or indeed to Coronation Street obviously enough those who work in the production lines of both those soaps have seen the billboards at this stage will she get a role or not we'll have to wait and see she has already though have experience in TV acting because she was in a, t- a small enough role anyhow in a police series which aired on ITV a number of years ago called Pray. Uh, so she does have experience, but uh, will she get a role in either of those? Good idea. And she has been noticed, but we'll have to wait and see if that big uh, billboard paid off and her mother, uh, what a dedicated mother to pay £1,000 sterling uh, for two billboards, a big picture of her daughter, basically summary points on her experience, cast her now and links to a blog. It is a good idea. Would you do that for your son or daughter? Would you go that far to get them a job? Let us know. Uh, text or WhatsApp. 0862103103 Our lines are open if you wish to raise something on the show this morning you can always text or WhatsApp uh, on that number or indeed call Bernie 1850 and I see this morning in the front of the Irish Sun uh, that Ed Sheeran has told how he bloomed to 15 and a half stone when he quit touring a lot of this of course was over the last two years when there was no live music he said the reason for this was he basically was on a diet of wine beer and chicken wings. 
And now he's decided to knock it, as the sun says, on the edge. He has transformed his life again. He will be back uh, touring. Uh, and I know at the moment he actually has contracted COVID and getting over that. And he seems to be doing OK. Uh, but while all that's going on, he is changing his lifestyle and getting rid of all those bad habits he picked up, he says, over the last year. So for Ed, here he is. That's C103. Good morning to you. Our lines are open. 1850-333-103. If you wish to raise something on the show, you can always text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. I mentioned there, and we've been doing this all week on the programme regarding carbon and the carbon tax and what has been advised regarding this carbon budget. And I did see this morning whereby the Tawnashali of Radcar basically has come out and said, any carbon tax on fuel, they won't be backing down on this or changing it. It's there to stay and will more than likely increase over the next to 10 years and on this a texter saying rip off Ireland is here to stay after reading this morning on what Leo Varadkar has said on petrol and the tax the government just does not care about the cause of inflation that they are responsible for says this texter and we'll be discussing roads in the minute and the condition of our roadways and John is in Kilmallock and John says the Limerick Road out of Kildallery near Abbeyland nursing home has been closed off completely for repairs now John is a delivery driver and is going to Ballyhooley and Donrail this morning and he will have to go 25 miles out of his way to get to those locations. So uh, one example of a road being closed for repairs but closed longer than it should be and uh, when we speak about repairs and we spoke about what we're going to discuss regarding bringing in contractors to carry out road improvements on the various schemes, uh, a number of texts in regarding the N71, that's the main route uh, from uh, just before Bandon basically right through to the West Cork and one of the main routes through West Cork as would be uh, the other route the Bantry line uh, but on that and the number of every time I mention roads this is one of the big ones because it's due, it's supposed to be a main road uh, basically in parts the road cannot deal with the amount of traffic now uh, people have moved home who work in the city and maybe commute now two or three days a week and that stretch well there's various stretches that are all bad but I think the one we get the most calls on are from Bandon to Clonakilty because that seems to be the busiest part of that road and then there's other areas uh, west of Skibbereen and uh, I, mean, I know they have done improvements in some parts in the Lep and Ross Carberry area uh, but still people feel the road is can't deal with the current traffic that it's on and when they travel and people travel elsewhere around the country and see motorways and better roads uh, it still comes back to why when you look at all the various announcements that were made in the National Development Plan while the N71 never gets a look in and still falls into disrepair and it gets fixed and then it falls into disrepair again and it does need to be winded, widened in, in so many locations. Anyhow, thank you for your texts and calls. We'll discuss that shortly in the programme. But next, the issue of South Dock doesn't need reforming and all this is coming from GPs who feel it does need reforming because of a lack of GPs. We'll discuss that next. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Doctors working within South Dock feel the service should have one centre and that would be enough due to the shortage in GPs. However, local politicians are not happy with this and one of those is Deputy Thomas Gould, the Cork North Central Sinn Féin deputy who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning. Now, you and others fought for the restoration of the South Dock service in Blackpool. Now again, there's fears this could close and have one location at the Kinsale Road. And all of this is going back to a shortage of GPs. Yes, but it's not just about Blackpool or Kinsale Road. We're also seeing problems in West Cork, Castleton, Beer, Middleton, East Cork. Like, so the whole issue here is, like, according to the HSCs, uh, 
medical advice. The best outcome for patients is where you can provide health services locally. Like, this is a proof of fact. We know this. So what we are saying is it is wrong to be closing down South Docks and expecting people in East Cork or West Cork to be travelling up to a new centre in the city because that, that's not best practice. It's not good for the patient. And the amount of time people are spent driving, um, it, it's just it's not fair on the patients. Now, on the other side, I know there is a huge shortage of GPs, but the problem here is we need uh, the Minister for Health and the HSC to provide attractive contracts, new contracts, to retain GPs, and we also need to be sitting down with the colleges looking at producing additional doctors. Like, we have a very good, we have a brilliant uh, university system here. We have the capabilities to get more doctors to educate them. And so what we need, we need a combination of uh, additional doctors in training, better contracts and better conditions. But, like, people can't be expected to travel long distance to see a doctor. Like, that was never the case in the past and it shouldn't be going forward. Well, GPs feel that if we still have those, as many South Docs as we have, that's what will happen because they're expected, they say, to provide a 24-hour service in addition to their own practices. And speaking to the Echo Middleton-based GP, Mike Thompson, he described the situation in dealing with this spillover from GP practices as farcical. And the fear is if you have all of these South Docs in various parts of the county, you won't have GPs to physically man each one. So then, as you mentioned, there you will have a situation of people travelling maybe from North Cork into the city and the outer areas of the county will suffer so people from Beira may have to travel to Skibbereen or Clonakilty or Bandon. Yes. Well, you see, and that's all uh, due to shortages. It's not due to having more centres. It's due to the fact that the centres are there but there's no one able to man them. But you see, John Paul, we didn't wake up this morning and find out we were short GPs. We knew we were short GPs 10 years ago and this goes down to cuts to the HSC, cuts the health, and also goes down to having bad contracts. Old, I, 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 I heard Thompson say the contract he has is from the 1970s. Like, what kind of a health service has contracts going back that far? We should have modern up-to-date practices, which are contracts, and we should also have a better work-life balance for doctors and for GPs. But the other thing, John Paul, is that your listeners are there this morning, going back when I was younger, uh, if, if I was sick or my mother or someone in the family was sick, out of hours you would phone your GP in the evening time at night time. This was all part of general practice. Now, by bringing in these sub-docs, what it meant was is that GPs would rotate the call system. Is like Maybe we need to hire GPs specifically for it, or maybe we need to enhance the amount of GPs. But like, being on call was always part of a GP's like care to his his uh, patients because like it, like GPs it wasn't a business like it's a business now but before when people went into medicine it was a vocation and so I think I think we need to look at this and uh, we need to work with doctors a hundred percent we need to train more but at the end of the day the patient should become first. So by what you're there saying there, Thomas, do you feel that GP practices now are more about making money than the human side of it? Well, you see, the way the, way the government has set them up in the HSC is they're being run like businesses. Uh, and listen, that's fine, but they should be supported because what we need, and like, like what the HSC are saying is they don't want people going to accidents around the sea, and we know 
know there's a crisis in accident emergency, especially in the at the moment. So we need the South Dock to open to keep people out of accident emergency. Because what happens then is they're taking up trolleys, then they're taking up beds, and then the system is at crisis point. The GPs and the South Dock is the first line of defence was giving people proper medical treatment, and then if they need to do it, the hospital. But if the system, if we don't get more PPs, you know, and if we don't come up with a, a, a plan, what we're going to see is the hospitals, the trolley crisis getting worse, the beds getting there, more blocked up, and it's going to lead to better, not less or worse outcomes for patients. And at the end of the day, here, Grandpa, it's all about the people. It shouldn't be about hospitals or so dark. It should be about what's best for the patient. And what we know, medical advice has told us, if you treat people in their communities, they have better outcomes and they have the other facts. Yeah, but I suppose we're going, it's going back to all the cuts that have happened over the last 20 years when we had hospitals in our communities and even the very local hospitals uh, had medical teams within them, but they were all basically closed down. And the likes of Bantry and Mallow were really changed over the last 15 years. So they did push everything into one location and this is the consequence of it. And I mean, I know you were in the Dáil yesterday raising the issue of uh, child and children waiting lists and that is all because of this, even though a lot of those would have been dealt with anyhow in the likes of C- UH or the South Infirmary or wherever, but the added pressures from reducing services in the county has left to these city hospitals under pressure and now we're in this situation whereby we have waiting lists and now we have a lack of GPs because they simply don't want to work 24-7. Yes, and you think, John Paul, I, I suppose Roy Keane had a famous saying about fail to prepare, prepare to fail. We made the decision, well, the government made decisions to slash services, to cut back beds, to cut back uh, spending in health going back to the financial crisis 2007 and 8. But what they didn't do, and the difference between the Irish government that time and the German government, the German government took a decision to invest in infrastructure, to invest in capital projects, to invest in education and health, so that when they came out of the, the crisis, the country would be ready to go. All government took a decision to go for austerity and to cut everything. No, we, we don't have countless of plumbers or painters to build houses uh, because they're in Australia and America, and it's the same with the GPs. We, like, GPs are, are working 12, 13, or 14 hour shifts, right? Back to back. That's not sustainable. You have trainee doctors in hospitals working 12 and 13 hour shifts, three, four, five, six nights back to back. How can that be good for the doctor? But it's also definitely not good for the patient. And all this comes back to decisions we made 10 years ago. And it's like, you, you, you reap what you sow. And I know a lot of people would listen to your show when they come from rural areas. They know if you don't plan it for advance, if you don't look uh, at what you're going to do in the future. And here we are now, and I'm listening to the uh, the Tarnish share and the Taoiseach, and they're talking about trying to fix it. We need investment, no. Not, not, like, in the budget that we had a few weeks ago, there wasn't one additional bed in the budget. Like, we, we have 100 people in ICU with COVID at the moment, and we didn't put one extra bed in the budget. So like, what we are saying is we should plan, invest locally, support GPs, but the patient must go first. 
Well, we'll have to wait and see if, if anything can be done. I mean, I know the HSC have issued a statement saying that they have increased the money allocated to GP out of our services. That was increased this year to 7.5 million. So, you know, you can, I suppose you can increase the money all you want, but if the doctors aren't there, that's where the dividend, the detail is. If you don't have the doctors, you can't run the service. Uh, before I let you go, Thomas, the a lot of comments this week coming in regarding Halloween and fireworks. I know you you have raised this issue because there's been a number of incidents in your area whereby fireworks have been thrown into houses. Uh, they haven't, nobody has been injured and they haven't caused damage, but it's a warning ahead of the weekend because some people uh, in the past have had life-threatening conditions due to this behaviour. Yes, and actually on Sunday night I saw something shocking where I saw a group, I saw a group of people chatting and I saw a number of young people throw fireworks at them. Uh, and only for I saw it myself, I couldn't believe how dangerous and irresponsible it was. And what I would say to your listeners, they are who are listening to sport, especially parents, to make sure their children are responsible. Uh, these are very dangerous to themselves, but also to others. We see what happened with that young girl in Galway who's had life-changing uh, consequences of someone throwing uh, a firework. And, like, horrific for people. Like I saw that that group of people on Sunday evening and they were actually traumatised. It was thrown into the middle of them and this group of young people ran away thinking it was funny. And it's not funny. So like I've been I raised this matter with the DRV, I think more action. But the only way I think we can we can kind of deter this is number one, have girls walking around on cycle bikes, high visibility and also then I think the least be uh, anyone caught selling these illegally has to have the full weight of the law. Like we can accept uh, because if someone gets injured as a result of these being sold illegally, I think the people who sold them should be responsible for the actions because these young people wouldn't be able uh, to have them if they weren't being sold illegally. So I think we need the girls to be uh, to be really assertive and not allow this and then also ask parents in particular uh, to speak to their children because it's really a dangerous situation. Having them shoved in letterboxes thrown into front gardens. Uh, older people, people with pets, people with disabilities, people who are living alone and are vulnerable, uh, this is very upsetting for them. Totally, it's very frightening and I think you're right, those who are selling these to people uh, do need to face the consequences. For the moment, Thomas, we'll have to leave it there and thanks for joining us this morning on that issue regarding South Dock and indeed the lack of GPs. Uh, that is Deputy Thomas Gould, the Cork North Central Sinn Féin Deputy. Your views are welcome, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And coming up, we're going to hear why contractors need to be brought in to carry out road improvement schemes across the county. And this is because the local authority does not have have the workforce. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Calls have been made to local authorities to bring in contractors to carry out some of the road improvement schemes in County Cork because the local authority does not have the workforce to undertake them. Fine Gael Councillor John Paul O'Shea joins me on this. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, John Paul, and good morning, listeners. Now, you have obtained figures, and this shows the money allocated by the government departments, and it could be spent faster to reduce the backlog of these road repairs. 
Yes, indeed, John Paul. There's two particular schemes uh, that I had put in a, a motion on for last Tuesday's meeting in co- County Council. Uh, the first one is the local improvement schemes, which is a scheme that is funded by the Department of Rural and Community Development under Heather Humphreys. And that is for actually private roads and laneways, um, but have access to maybe farmland and access to recreational areas like, um, you know, uh, amenities like beaches and, um, you know, holy wells, etc. like that. Um, and I suppose we have had a number of improvements to the scheme in the last number of years, thanks to Minister Humphrey's uh, intervention. And uh, in fairness to her, she has increased the money uh, to local authorities. But I suppose the local authorities in the last number of years has been challenged in terms of doing uh, all the schemes that have come into Cork County Council for it. So last year we carried out uh, 19 roads under that scheme and this year our aim is to carry out 33 roads in that scheme. Um, but we have a waiting list of over 150 roads that are still on the list to be done. And as you can imagine, John Paul and your listeners um, listening in this morning, many of these listeners are living on these roads and need to get them done. So we've asked the County Council to put all efforts in and to make sure that we have additional staff and that we would look for private contracting staff as well to carry out this, um, I suppose, request in these roads um, because the money is there in the department. We are getting an annual allocation every year. I think we got an allocation this year of €1 million Euros and we got topped up by another €600,000. Um, so we would we would be trying to get as many roads done as possible during that time. And the allocation of this money, if the money isn't used then because there's nobody there to physically do the work, what happens to that money? Yes, and that's the challenge as well, John Paul, is that I suppose, uh, and that was the main focus of my motion really is, um, because the main road funding comes through the Department of Transport, uh, for this scheme it comes through the Rural and Community Development Department under, as I said, the Head of Humphreys Department, and the actual allocations are coming quite late. The first allocation we got was in May, uh, and that was €1 million, Euros, and then we got a further allocation in late July, August, and I suppose the challenge is for Cork County Council is to get that money spent and drawn down by the Department by the torches in November and as you know John Paul we try to get the roads done while there is good weather while there is longer days mm. etc like that and I suppose the challenge is for the Cork County Council is to get them done on time And so if the money isn't drawn down though do you lose the money if the money isn't drawn down? Uh, yes the money goes back to the department so like I said um, the um, County Council have committed that they will fund um, the entire uh, allocation this year which is for uh, 1.5 million euro um, that has been allocated but the department is quite willing to give us more if we have the resources to do more so this is the conundrum John Paul that we're in uh, we have uh, my specific motion was to write to the department and ask Mr Humphreys to make an earlier allocation in 2022 and to allow us spend the money in January February, March, rather than waiting until May and June until we get eradication. So it's a better consensus for all involved. And I hope that the Minister will, I suppose, look kindly upon her request and make the eradication because, you know, um, the local improvement scheme is a very important scheme for rural Ireland. It is included in our, our rural future policy that has been published, which is the, the policy that's going to be the framework for rural Ireland for the next five years. So money will come for that scheme for the next five years. And we're asking the Minister and the Government to make area allegations so local authorities like Cork County Council can do the work as early as possible. And as you were mentioning there, outlining at the start of the interview about how all this works, have we lost money so over the years because of a lack of workforce in the last number of years? Have we lost the money? Have we handed it back to the department again and central government? 
No, thankfully we haven't. But like the request to, that came into us in July, um, we could have got more money if we had more resources mm. to do it at that time, John Paul. So the second allocation we got was for €500,000. And, you know, if we had the resources and the capabilities to do that earlier in the year, we could have spent another million euros, no problem. And that is the request that's coming back into us uh, from our constituencies. Look, we're on the waiting list for a number of years. Is there any way of getting the roads done as soon as possible? And I think everybody in the local authority of all political parties and none and the executive as well, John Paul, are very much pro-scheme and they're very much uh, want to get as many roads done as possible. But 43 roads was all that we could do during 2021. Um, but we're asking the minister to make an area allocation next year so we can actually get more than 33 roads done next year and make it into that waiting list. So it would be better, important. more or less, so to get advance warning. Would you rather get the local authorities even, would you rather them to know a few years in advance, maybe two or three years, so they can plan on a year-by-year basis rather than finding out every year. Yes, and there's and there's a number of other, um, I suppose, methods that we work in the local authority for housing, for example. Now, John Paul, we get an allocation to do, um, you know, um, um, grant works for um, private houses and council houses in relation to adaptations. And we get an allocation, I think, roughly there in the last, uh, last year, we got an allocation of five million euros. But based on that, the, the housing, um, the Department of Housing would write to Cork County Council and they would say you can spend up to 60% of last year's allocation in 2022 based on the on the commitment you got last year. So we're asking Minister Humphreys to put a simple structure like that in place that we have in place with the Department of Housing for housing grants purposes to put a similar uh, system in place for the local improvement scheme. And as I said, the commitment is there from government. It is in our oral future policy document. Uh, so the money will be there. And I think, you know, spending 60% of last year's allocation based on last year's allocation would be a, a prudent way to go forward. And I think, you know, putting that message to the Minister, I hope she will listen to it and I hope she will come back um, fruitfully and, uh, and tell us we can do that. Well, Tommy is living on one of those roads you mentioned in the Mitchellstown area. He says it does need to happen. Our road now is just full of potholes. It's basically fallen apart. And these roads have become busier in the last two years that people have moved back to the area or others, commuters, who have moved uh, to areas like Mitchellstown and Fermoy use these roads as shortcuts to get onto the main roads. So they are becoming busier and busier, but yet no work to done to them and Rasta was making a good point she feels the money has been wasted that local authorities are too busy widening footpaths and congesting towns and villages that is something that came up during the week in the show and we got a massive reaction to this people wondering why footpaths are increasing in size in towns and villages is that all back to the regeneration scheme and I suppose what is the reason for this is it to increase pedestrianisation in towns because some people feel and Kenturk was an example whereby a truck was trying to go around the corner in the town of Kenturk and the traffic coming towards the truck literally had to stop and pull in because the truck could not get around the corner and it was due to the footpath. Yeah, like many, I suppose, requests come in on, a, on an ongoing basis, John Paul, in terms of improving, improving our pedestrianisation and activities around town centres and villages. And I suppose, obviously, due to COVID-19 as well, there's been a lot of outdoor dining and a lot of uh, outdoor seating has been taken up in our public footpaths, uh, etc. But as many requests come in uh, for that, and I think it's important, I suppose, that we consider all requests uh, to ensure the traffic keeps moving. But we also need to ensure that the safety of our pedestrians is our top priority. 
and in many cases, including Ken Turk-Tone, John Paul, uh, needs a refurbishment in terms of footbed replacements. Um, and we are working, you know, hand in hand with the community council there in Ken Turk and with the, the, the Ken Turk Chamber in terms of improving those. And I suppose any, you know, suggestions of changes that we make uh, will be consulted with the community beforehand. Uh, but certainly, I think, um, you know, we're very grateful of the funding we've got uh, through Cork County Council from the different um, departments in the last number of years to make, I suppose, you know, our town centres and our village centres more welcoming for people. But do you feel the, that they are causing problems with traffic? Because you're saying they're making more welcoming people on text of WhatsApp are saying they're causing more problems. Yeah, and there will be challenges, you know. Uh, I think Kenturk Town is the prime example there where, um, you know, the relief road is, is, is shortly due to open next month and that will make a, a huge difference to um, the town centre of Kenturk where a lot of the HGV traffic will no longer um, be able to travel or no longer have to travel uh, through the town of Kenturk um, to get to their destination. Um, and certainly, you know, there is ways and means of working with that. But certainly there's challenges, John Paul, because a lot of our town centres and centres have been created for many many years and a lot of them are quite challenged in terms of the space that's provided but we work with all communities and all, all constituents in relation to making it the best way possible for everybody involved. And do you think maybe in some towns they got it wrong, maybe they put the white footpaths at junctions whereby they could have been put in other areas of the town where they would have been more welcoming? Absolutely, and I think uh, you know we're, we're the first to hold our hands up when something doesn't work out. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that we've done during COVID is only a trial period. And it's very interesting to note, John Paul, nationally. Uh, I think the conversation back uh, from Cork City and Dublin City in the last number of days is that people very much like the pedestrianisation uh, of the, of the two cities in Dublin and Cork City. So I think a similar exercise should be taking place in all of our towns where we have made changes uh, due to COVID nineteen. They they are um, temporarily changes. Um, so like the realities are I suppose um, we'd welcome I suppose contact from constituents who has concerns relating to particular aspects of their town and village so their local uh, councillor can engage with them and go back to the local authority and discuss them but we certainly uh, will be from a Kentuck Mallow point of view uh, we will be discussing all those um, come the end of the year and into next year to know will we continue them or will we um, revert back to the normal state of affairs Okay well thanks for joining us this morning uh, on the roads issue that is Fine Gael Councillor John Paul O'Shea your views are welcome 1850 333 103 text or WhatsApp 0862103103 number of calls and comments in on various issues we've been discussing this morning and first of all on South Dock and the situation with regards to the shortage of GPs not only here in Cork but across the country and on South Dock a texter here is saying that this person feels we need to get rid of South Dock and bring back the GP call out service this was when GPs used to call to the house at night like before there was always a doctor on call and he would call to the home of the person who was ill. That needs to return. That is something uh, that was touched on there as well when we were speaking with uh, Sinn Féin Deputy Thomas Gould on that earlier in that interview when he feels the way the HSC have set up the agreements now with GPs, he feels it's more about making money for GP services rather than looking after the patient and that's the way the HSC has set it up according to Thomas, not you know having a go at the GPs but it's the way that they have to run those contracts they were given from the HSC. And on then the shortage of GPs, which is the reason we were talking about South Dock this morning, a texter here says Good morning John Paul, I feel very strongly about doctors and 
nurses taking off as soon as they're qualified. They're more than welcome to take off, but they have to pay back the money the government put into them to do their training. They should be made sign up to repay this country for five years and then go where they like. If they were trained in any other country, they would have to pay up front and get student loans. They don't have to do that here and they take off with no debt to society. If they signed up, we would have a constant flow of doctors and nurses, says that texter, while Morris in Glonthon says uh, there was an Indian girl who came here at 15 years of age and lived in Dublin. Now, Morris knows her well as she stayed at his house with his family for a few occasions, but she passed her leaving search and she got into medical school. And then when she left medical school, she could not get an internship in any hospital here in Ireland. She has had to go back now and return to India to look for work. So how can we say there is a shortage of doctors here when we have situations like this, uh, says Morris in Glonthon. And I have heard of that as well from other people who have trained here and simply find it impossible to get into an Irish hospital and they do end up going elsewhere. Or also, due to the pay here, they feel for the work they do, they can go elsewhere and get paid more. And that's a lot of the situation as well, uh, facing people. Thank you, Morris, for your call. I spoke earlier about how the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, she would be happy if there was ever to be a reunited Ireland Uh, that we would all have July the 12th off as that is a bank holiday in the north she would have no problem extending that to the whole country uh, if there was a reunited Ireland to happen well on that uh, texter here on WhatsApp says as you were mentioning the bank holiday earlier I was talking to a relation of mine who lives in the north of Ireland she told me that everyone in the north is going to be getting £100 because everyone suffered over the virus our government won't do that as their pockets would run out here uh, says that WhatsApper well yeah that is what they are running in the in Northern Ireland and applications it was called the Northern Ireland spend local cars now the applicants are closed that's a bit of a hassle up there though because those and I know people um, who applied for that and that obviously they live in, in Northern Ireland they applied for that scheme they're still awaiting to get their voucher and one of the talking points on the chat shows in the north are people who applied for this a number of months ago and still have not received the voucher and they're kind of annoyed at this stage because a lot of people were hoping to spend it in their local stores at Christmas or for Christmas shopping which a lot of people are doing now and they still have not received the voucher anyhow what was the scheme about well any resident in Northern Ireland over the age of 18 was able to apply for this £100 voucher which basically as the WhatsApper said was an incentive given to people following all the various lockdowns and it would be also an incentive to, for people to spend locally and give to local businesses. Now the applications closed earlier this week for that. There was a huge amount of applications and the department is still working through the large numbers so that could be one of the reasons for the delays up there uh, but no such scheme here. It was talked about and was looked into but I think we're going to go down the bank holiday route uh, and I think the bank holiday will be for everybody uh, in this country very hard to target out people that you know worked during the pandemic because every sector really worked I know people might have been at home but they were still working trying to juggle 
children and home life and also being on Zoom calls and work at the same time. Uh, so it would be hard to pinpoint one area. Uh, medical teams, obviously, you know, people would say they deserve more and maybe they, they always should have deserved more, not just a pandemic to point that out, but uh, regarding workers, every industry works. So it's where you decide the front line and is it the easiest thing just to give a bank holiday so everybody gets that day off rather than singling out a specific sector. Uh, but that's the way they're doing it in Northern Ireland with that voucher scheme. And at the moment up there, the drama is that they have basically applied for it, but a lot of people haven't got the vote yet. I'm sure they will uh, in time for the Christmas room. But yeah, thank you for your WhatsApp on that. But that scheme not happening here. And while there was talks of something like that, it ain't going ahead. On the footpaths and road situation that we spoke about earlier. And first of all, the scheme that looking at contractors to do the work because the local authority doesn't have uh, the workforce to do those uh, road improvements. And this would be for the road improvement schemes, uh, more or less the minor roads across the area a number of people have been on who live in roadways like that and like our earlier caller Tommy in Mitchellstown agree with Tommy those roads which were minor roads are now being used like main roads as people use them for shortcuts because the main roads are so busy people are doing everything they can to get to work faster in the morning as people return to the office while on the footpaths we mentioned and the widening of footpaths and while no one has an issue of pedestrianising any town or area the footpaths in question though is where they're being widened is causing the problem and Jay making a good point saying JP you can have white footpaths but not at the junctions who are the clowns drawing up the plans uh, says Jay while Mary in Canturk says the pedestrian crossing in O'Brien Street in Canturk is very dangerous people are parking on the zigzag lines near the crossing now she has spoken to the Gardaí who say it is illegal but nothing is being done about it uh, and I know there was uh, not in Canturk but in another town in Cork, someone had parked more or less on the zigzag lines. And as far as I know, they were prosecuted over that and they, they were reprimanded. Uh, but in not in Kenturk, anyhow, according to Mary, it's not happening. And John and Mallow says, when the roads are upgraded, then that is fine. But they're not looked after. Uh, the aftercare is non-existent and the local authority did not have the proper equipment and staff then to carry out uh, the upgrades. So that needs to be looked at as well. Uh, some of your calls and comments regarding uh, the road situation and indeed footpaths this morning. Uh, your views are welcome. Uh, to Bernie or indeed text of WhatsApp but also views on agriculture because the Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnellogue uh, he is going to continue his public consultation on the cap proposals he's visiting Canturk March later this afternoon and we've just been told in the last number of minutes that he is available to chat with us on the programme so he will join us after midday after the news that midday we will be joined by the Agricultural Minister Charlie McConnellogue so if you have a question we obviously will uh, put the issues we've discussed this week regarding the carbon budget regarding the cap proposals uh, and indeed the emission situation but if there is something specifically you want to ask about cap and you are a farmer in the know uh, and you feel maybe what's happening is not right or you want to know more about because I know farmers are very worried about these proposals for cap uh, you can text or WhatsApp your questions to 086 or call Bernie on 1850 333 and he will join us hopefully after midday on the programme but on the way next we're going to hear about the situation in schools and the problems schools are having finding substitute teachers. C103 Jobs. And on today's job spot, we have opportunities which include KPH Construction. They're looking for pipe layers near the Blarney side of Cork City. Contact James on 087 655 1111. 
Kevin O'Leary Centra in Bandon are looking for an experienced deli assistant for a full-time position. You can send your CV to hr at kevinoleary.ie. And Pizza Max in Kenturk requires an assistant for a front desk, maybe suitable for a student. You can call 086-123-5813 for more info on that. And you'll find more info on all the jobs. Just go along to c103.ie forward slash jobs to get more jobs and information on the ones we've just called out over now to our website at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Pupils in primary schools could be sent home due to a shortage of substitute teachers. Pori Clerken of the Irish Primary Principal Network joins me on this. Good morning to you, Pori. Good morning. First of all, why is there a shortage of substitute teachers in this country? I mean, is there less people going to training to become a teacher or what is the situation? No, I suppose one of the situation we're facing at the moment is is um, directly related to the COVID issues. Um, you know, we're in a situation at the moment and there's a, a critical shortage of substitute teachers. There has been a shortage for some time now. Um, as you know, we're telling encouraging parents and and seeking you know their 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 help in terms of ensuring that no child is sent into school that has any symptoms it's the same for a staff member so um we managed the situation you know since march last year uh, in emergency situations through the use of our set teachers our special education teachers but unfortunately the department has sent out a communication in recent weeks uh, that's discontinuing the system that was in place and that's putting particular uh, pressure on schools in emergency situations where a number of staff are are absent at any one time uh, and where there's no substitutes available so you're left in a situation now where you, you could have used maybe the, the SNA teachers at one point to fill the gaps or more or less when there was an emergency arose. But I did hear Education Minister Norma Foley, who was against that of happening. Uh, so where do you look to now? If, if you can't use the existing staff you have and there is no substitute teachers, where do you go from here? Where is the backup? Well, I suppose the situation, you know, we're, we're dealing with an emergency. Um, we had a measure in place whereby, you know, if, if there was an emergency situation that you could use one of the SET teachers uh, to cover a class and ensure that children could continue with their learning in school and that we, boards of management would be, wouldn't be facing very difficult situations whereby, you know, they might even have to consider if there's a critical shortage, you know, whether they'd, they'd have to send the class home. Now, that's the last thing that a board would want. It's the last thing that a principal would want. But in those situations, what happened is that the SET teacher could be put in. The school could bank those hours. So if it was that day and they could use, they could get a substitute teacher in whenever one came uh, became available. And that teacher could then be used uh, to to uh, ensure that the children who missed out on the resource hours, that, uh, that they would receive those hours at that stage. It must be very frustrating. So when you had a solution, but that solution has now been taken away from you. Uh, it's very, you know, it is, it's very frustrating and it's, it's unfair on the children who have resource hours because in those situations now to keep the school hope open, uh, the school, the board of management and the principal are faced with a situation whereby they'll have to put the, the SET teacher in uh, to keep the class in school. And unfortunately, 
the banked hours are gone and that means that those hours are lost to the children who are in need of those extra resource hours and and that's something that we're very unhappy with in that our most vulnerable children in school uh, are missing out on on time that they're entitled to so you know we're very much looking for this decision to be reversed and for the banked hours facility to be made available to schools again until such time as the pandemic is, uh, you know, has, has, has passed us and that we're able to put the normal measures in place in emergency situations. What would have happened in the past is the class would be divided up amongst uh, the teachers uh, and, and, you know, the SET uh, teacher could continue teaching the resource teachers. That's not open to us during these pandemic times at the moment. And is there any flexibility in arranging or introducing student teachers to short term fill the vacancies that may be coming up, maybe uh, those who are already up for training from one of the colleges? Could that be a solution? No, absolutely. And the department are talking to the colleges um, and they have been in discussions with the colleges over the past number of weeks to see where extra capacity could be created. Now, obviously, that has to be done you know, uh, without interfering with the training that the student teachers are going through. But at different times of the year, they're out in the schools. And certainly uh, we would hope that, you know, uh, if, if it was possible even one day a week that our, the, the lectures could take place perhaps in the online or even in the evenings, that, you know, any flexibility that, you know, could be made available through the colleges would be very welcome to help us through this particular uh, difficulty at the moment. And but I know that those discussions are taking place. We don't have a shortage, though, do we, of teachers? I mean, I presume the training colleges such as Mary I or the Hibernia courses, that they are still uh, seeing a huge uptake in the courses. No, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're still training the full, the normal cohort of student teachers. It really is, uh, it's, it's related to these COVID times and just to the emergency measures that are in place in schools at the moment. It has minimised the flexibility that we have in terms of managing uh, critical situations in schools. And that's why the critical measure that was in place, uh, you know, uh, certainly ensured that we were able to keep classes uh, in school over the past year. And we'd, we'd, be, we'd be looking for that flexibility to be afforded to the schools again. And the reality here is while you have teachers who are coming in or may about to be to come into school that morning, they get a, a head cold or some type of a flu, then they can't come in. They must go for a test. It leaves you in a situation whereby you have to go looking. Uh, could we have a situation as we get nearer to the winter and we, we are well aware there's more flus and colds going around at the moment where more and more people are out mingling now that the nighttime economy is back as well. Uh, will we see schools closing because of this? And we have seen instances like this over the last number of weeks in various counties in this country. Yeah, well, certainly principals and uh, boards of management will be doing everything that they can possibly do to avoid that situation because we know that's, you know, extremely difficult. It's difficult for the school, for the school community for, and for the parents in that situation, never mind the children who will be missing out on, their, on their, their time in school. So we'll be doing everything to avoid those situations. And that's why this measure was in place last year, the Bank Dowers facility. It gave us the flexibility to ensure uh, that we didn't have to send classes home. So certainly we'd be, we'd be calling on all of the partners on the department to look at every possible measure we can do to ensure that we have enough teachers and we have enough capacity in the schools to ensure that we don't have to send classes home. But the bottom line is that a board of management in a situation where there might be if there are health and safety uh, concerns, sometimes they have to make very difficult decisions like that. So what they need is every support and every flexibility available uh, to ensure that they're not put in that situation. And when you mentioned there about the Board of Management and what's happening on the ground in schools, do you feel maybe the Department of Education are out of touch a bit with this on the reality versus what it's like on paper? 
Well, I think that, you know, all of us, uh, all of the partners in education work with the department and we continue to talk to the department and to look at all of the measures and all of the solutions that could be put in place. Um, we actually, it was the Irish Primary Principles Network that put forward the solution of the banked hours last year. We feel that it gave the flexibility to ensure that we could keep our classes open and we'd be calling on the departments to, to look at that situation again uh, and to make that available to our schools so that we can continue uh, to ensure that uh, the flexibility is available during these difficult times to ensure that we keep children in school. We will wait and see what happens for the moment, Porig. Thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thank you. That is a Pori Kirkin there who is the uh, from the Irish Primary Principals Network on the issue of teacher shortages for substitute teachers. As Sophie uh, has been on by text saying this is a massive issue for parents when we go along to the school. We're all worried about our own kids in case they bring something into the school, says Sophie. Uh, but we have had situations whereby our children are in a school, in a classroom and another teacher has to cover or they split the class. It's a nightmare scenario for the teachers and it's unfair. It's should not be happening. I do know of people who are substitute teachers but cannot get on panels or cannot get the teaching experience. Uh, while Amanda is a teacher and she says, I totally agree with what Porig says. We don't have enough teachers. I'm not too sure. Is it due to shortages in training colleges or not? Because I know from personal experience, from dealing with my own principal, that when someone is out sick, trying to get a substitute teacher is impossible. When we go to ring people that we have on our own list. They've already been called up by schools nearby and the things are only going to get worse as we hit the winter months for our situation. Any teacher who has a head cold now can't come in and you have to go for a test first and get yourself checked out for fear that you could have COVID and bring it into the school. And it's something all schools are worried about. I know I was reading there this morning in the papers uh, from a school in Kerry uh, that is uh, probably will have to close because of how fast uh, COVID-19 has spread through their school uh, from, I think, just one case. So it just shows what can happen and why they have to look at these situations and why teachers can't just turn up for school if they are uh, feeling unwell. But then if you can't find a substitute teacher, uh, who loses out? Uh, your views are welcome. 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. After midday, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, will join us. He is in Kanturk this afternoon because he's visiting nearly every county across the country on this public consultation regarding the new CAP proposal a lot of anger regarding those proposals and also anger on what has come out of this week regarding carbon budgets. Anyhow, we'll be asking him about CAP and about carbon budgets. If you have a particular question for the Agricultural Minister, he'll join us after midday. You can call Bernie 1850 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Mike is in Skibbereen and he says he's reading everywhere. Uh, that social dancing is cancelled. But why is that when nightclubs are open? Well, yeah, nightclubs were open last weekend and uh, they were busy and this weekend they'll be open again and for the foreseeable future but you must have a ticket before you go in and we spoke yesterday with Sean McCarthy from the late night bar side of things who owns Soho and indeed also involved with Tequila Jacks in the city centre and for them it's the complications of you're in the bar and then you must leave the bar and go back in because if you're having a meal in their bar and 
then half 11 comes and it turns into a late night bar those people have to leave and come back in with a ticket that's how things are looking at the moment the guidelines due to be out later this evening uh, maybe they'll have factored that into account now because it does seem strange that you would have to do that uh, but there will be a ticketing system for all nightclubs so that will rule out the queuing uh, somehow anyhow rule out the queuing uh, for the nightclubs even though if you have a ticket and you're going to the nightclub and you all turn up at half 11 would there not still be a queuing outside the door with everybody having a digital ticket on the phone anyhow uh, that's the reason they are setting up the tickets uh, so nightclubs will remain with ticketed only uh, regarding social dancing with this week to a number of people who run social dancing one on air was George who runs the uh, George DeWire who runs the Hazel Tree uh, he joined us on the show last week explaining his reasons. He just felt it was not safe to reopen at this stage. Uh, we are hearing, though, of other areas who are opening. So it depends really on who is running social dancing uh, and what venues feel they had the capacity to do it on a safe method. Uh, some are just worried and, and feel it's not safe enough at the moment for their clientele. So they are not opening. And that's why they are not going ahead with this. A lot of those maybe business with bars and hotels attached to their venue but other locations then are going ahead with social dancing so they're not all cancelled it just really depends Mike on the actual venue uh, I know we're getting emails slowly from places such as community halls I think there's one in Ballon Hassett going to go ahead again shortly uh, who are going ahead with social dancing and certain areas of the county are already already running social dancing so it's, it might be just certain ones and the reason for that as we spoke to those last Last week on the show, they just feel for their clientele now is not the right time. And that's one of the reasons we got back from that. But they're not all cancelled. It's just some of the usual venues are not returning. And a lot of those, I suppose they have to think of their own staff and their own well-being as well when they maybe have a bar or a hotel attached to the venue. And there's a bigger picture for them. Uh, let's say, rather than someone who's running it out of a community hall or maybe uh, another hall that isn't used for anything else. Anyhow, your views are welcome on social dancing, a big issue, but they're not all cancelled. Definitely, a lot of them are are returning over the next few weeks. Mike and Skibarina in 1850-333-103. But to the crimes in the Cork area, we turn to next on our Garda file. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 2 103 And time for this week's Garda File. I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly from Fermoy Garda Station. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, John Paul. And we'll start this week with two break-ins. This was on a bank holiday Monday. We've uh, got reports of two break-ins. Now, I suppose the first break-in there, John Paul, and we're asking for the public's assistance on this one. Possibly somebody may have, uh, if they recall, they may have passed this car. Um, White Audi Saloon, where specifically we're looking for. I don't have... Uh, a, a model type or I don't have a partial number plate for this but it was acting suspiciously around 6pm to 7pm in the area of Ballyarter for my a burglary occurred there between that time uh, the burglary occurred between 6 and 7 so this car was acting suspiciously it was also seen acting suspiciously uh, or travelling through Tallow heading for Yall, we know around 7.50 or 8 p.m. Now, another second break-in had occurred at Carrigeen Hill in Connor. Now, the one in Carrigeen Hill uh, occurred between 12 o'clock, uh, 12 noon that day, and uh, 20 past 8 that night. Would we got reports of a car, similar description, seen acting suspiciously, you know, between 6 to 8 o'clock in that, in that area. So we believe that both items are connected. So if anybody was travelling the area, and if you think you may have picked up something on your dash cam, you know, have a look through it, and uh, please, uh, the guard either uh, here in Formoy, uh, 025-82100, would be interested in hearing from you. Um, otherwise, crime has been generally fairly quiet, um, which which is good to note. Um, and any obviously, any reports we get, we follow up straight away of suspicious cars in the area. Um, so the second or the next incident I have, uh, just to mention there, is the drive-off. We had a drive-off there in Charleville. Um, now, I suppose the reason I'm mentioning it is the fact that uh, fuel prices are getting higher. I mean, factor at record levels at the moment. And for all retailers, uh, petrol retailers, um, anyone there with a four-core shop, just to be a worry of that. Um, in this particular instance, the 07LK Black Passat uh, called in, pulled up, uh, pulled in, filled up with 20 euros of fuel. Now, the same car has been involved in drive-offs in Carlow and Wexford. Um, so for people just to be aware of that, um, and if they can have somebody on the forecourt, but to make sure that, you know, every person into the shop, that you just casually remark to them, did you have any fuel, you know, and that they're keeping an eye on the forecourt as well. Um, uh, because it's, it's something with, uh, as I say, fuel at record levels. Now, we haven't any had any reports of um, thefts of home heating oil, but it's just something for people to have in the back of their mind. While we have had no reports of it, there's nothing to say with um, uh, prices at record levels that we won't see it again this, this winter. So for people to keep an eye out for suspicious activity, uh, particularly in uh, or rural areas, it tends to be the, where that is carried out. 
Yeah, and we um, haven't seen drive-offs, John, for quite some time from petrol stations, so you, you would imagine there is a link, all right, between what is happening with fuel prices and uh, people maybe who just feel they're desperate to get fuel, and that's what's happening. And, and again, it's a good point to make for the home heating as well uh, and being a watch out for, for that across the winter months. Now, we do know that the last week, John, was a, a slow down day as we approached the bank holiday weekend in Gardaí, catching a lot of drivers who were over the speed limit by large amounts. But also, uh, we've had a lot of wet weather and we have leaves falling on the road so that is making for slippery conditions, John. Uh, I travelled the main road there, the N25 there this morning between 7 and 8 heading to Cork City and I know that um, the weather conditions were, were atrocious. Um, overnight it had rained very heavily, uh, large amounts of water had accumulated on the road and yet there were people disregarding the speed limits and travelling at a totally disproportionate uh, speed by comparison with the road conditions. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned to people, have in the back of your mind as well the fact that, you know, the constituent part of a charge of dangerous driving is not the fact that you're over, over 100 kilometres. It also means that you take account of the road conditions pertaining. Like a person could be doing uh, 80 kilometres an hour you know, in a 100-kilometre zone, but the road conditions being so bad that they should should only be doing about 60, you know, if you, if you had heavy fog or something. You know, so people need to bear that in mind. Just because you need, uh, 100 kilometres an hour is not a target to be met, you know, especially on a morning like this, you know, when, um, as I said, road conditions were, were hazardous. And I can recall there over the last, going back, in the last 20 years in East Cork, you know, a couple of very, very serious fatalities that occurred, you know, where the conditions were so bad that cars aquaplaned, you know. So um, it, it is something that you can hit. Uh, if you hit water, you know, on the road, it can be very, very hard, uh, even impossible to keep control of the car and for people to, to bear that in mind. Um, and, and as I said, country roads as well, you know, where large amounts of leaves have accumulated can lead to very, very slippery road conditions and for people, you know, to, you know, to drive carefully and, uh, you know, within the control. Uh, you know, of the car and both hands in the steering wheel. And as I say, ju- just if it has rained, take note of it. OK, and also, John, we're coming up to Halloween. We discussed this earlier in the show, the dangers of fireworks. And we've already heard of people who've been hearing them going off in various towns. And also we heard earlier on from the north side of the city of fireworks being thrown into a number of people who were just out for a walk uh, in, in a footpath having a chat. And then you have fireworks thrown at houses. So just a, a word of warning of the dangers of fireworks. And I, and I believe in, the, in one incident uh, there has been uh, quite a serious injury occurred through, through a firework being thrown, you know. Um, so, look, an awful lot of those uh, fireworks are being imported illegally. You, you know, use of fireworks, you know, is illegal in this country, um, except as part of a carnival or a festival where they're done under licence in, in controlled uh, situations by uh, particular pyrotechnicians. You, you know, who have trained in that regard. But, you know, the, I don't have to remind people that accidents and emergencies are already busy enough with, with, with COVID and everything else, you know, but you could have life-changing injuries as a result of, you know, fireworks being thrown or fireworks going off in somebody's hand and taking a finger or two fingers off, you know, a child's hand. So for people to be aware of it, but even pets as well, you know, um, in, in rural areas as well, horses, you know, you could have... 
uh, horses horses spooked and been badly injured or even killed, you know, d- dogs in urban situations. But, you know, they can cause an awful lot of grief to people. So for, for people to be pleased, you know, if you're aware your child is or you suspect your child, you know, has bought some, you know, at some market or whatever, you know, please, you, you know, have a look in the bedroom, you know, see if they're being stored somewhere and uh, take custody of them, you know. Yeah, and also eggs is another one to watch if there's a, all of a sudden a number of eggs appearing in your house or hidden under a bed or you notice you're a shopkeeper and someone is coming in buying a number of eggs. That's also to watch out for across the I, next few days. I would agree, yeah. People have to be a notion of that. Like, I mean, uh, you know, a 12-year-old coming in to buy a dozen of eggs, well, you know. They're not going baking. Torture could through your mind, yeah, they're not going baking, yeah. you know, so... Please, please, just cautious of that, you know. Okay, well, take care uh, over the weekend uh, regarding the fireworks and indeed those eggs. And for the moment, John, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning on the programme with this week's Gardafall from from my Garda station, that is Sergeant John Kelly. Mary has been on, and I'm sure many people have had a situation with this when it comes to online purchasing. Uh, Mary says, I'm at my wits end, JP, uh, trying to do purchases online with this new AIB Authicenter app. Uh, I have downloaded it correctly, but the money will not go through. Is someone else having similar problems with this app. Uh, Well, every bank now has this type of app whereby whatever you go to buy online, when you're on the purchaser's website, it will bring you back to uh, a kind of a site where it gives the logo of your bank and then you have to put in either your own PIN number and then wait for a text from the bank. Or also there's an app whereby if you again are purchasing it will come up with the page with your bank's uh, logo and then it asks you to authentify yourself on the app of the bank and you're with AIB Uh, yeah there is a lot of problems with this Mary you're not alone Uh, a lot of this can happen because uh, I have found myself in the past if I'm in an area and you're in 4G and the coverage is switching from 4G to 3G uh, and maybe to the the lower bands you don't really notice yourself because I suppose we're not consciously looking at our phone reception when we're on phones but a lot of the time when the area might be okay and you think we're in a good area but you know uh, maybe because we're conscious of it here you, you know your phone will drop it in out uh, from different levels of reception that's where I've had problems in the past now I don't know if that's what's happening to you or not uh, but that is where I have come into problems because what has happened is you're trying to do this purchase but if the reception dips by any means uh, then your phone loses connection and that throws everything back to the start again and that does and what we have checked in the past that can be one of the problems not saying it is but it can be one of the problems Uh, I know people say use Wi-Fi but we've seen the problems with using Wi-Fi now if it's your own Wi-Fi I suppose you might be okay but a lot of people would uh, prefer if you're in a public area anyhow or in a workplace not to use Wi-Fi for doing any purchases and just to use the normal cellular uh, mobile reception that we get via the 4G, 5G or 3G so that could be one of the reasons Mary maybe where you are is causing problems but it is a problem and I know it's very frustrating and one day myself I was four or five times trying to uh, do an online purchase and the same thing was happening now I'm not with AIB uh, but it was happening with my own bank as well uh, but anybody else has any ideas for Mary and if you are with AIB how did you come around this it could be due to reception issues it could be because simply the reception is dropping for a few seconds but if you can help uh, let us know on text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Mary trying to authenticate herself on the AIB app when she's purchasing online but it's not going through and then she can't buy her items because of 
of that are you having the same problem if you're with AIB your ideas are welcome on that one along after midday your pet questions are welcome for Jane Arvesh who will join us uh, she's with us after 12.30 if you have a question for Jane call Bernie now on 1850-333-103 you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Good afternoon to you John Paul McNamara in for Patricia right through until one with Cork today and Nick Richards has more of those greatest hits from one and Martina on the drive home from four here at C103 uh, your pet questions are welcome for Jane our vet Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket will join us after 12.30 if you have a question ahead of the weekend Halloween we'll be touching on that and how to deal with your pets for Halloween regarding fireworks which we spoke about earlier but also if you have a question uh, for your pet in your household get on to us now with Bernie taking your calls 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 but the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, he will continue his public consultation on the cap proposals with a visit to Canturk Marsh this afternoon. And Minister McConnellogue joins me uh, this afternoon before he uh, goes to Canturk. Good afternoon to you, Minister. Good afternoon, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. I suppose this has been a really interesting week in the world of agriculture. We had a lot of angry callers from the agri-community on what was mentioned within these carbon budgets earlier on in the week. And then that fed into CAP. And while farmers who were on to us, they had fantastic green ideas such as solar and hydro. They feel that they are the ones targeted when it comes to these discussions. And they say the future uh, when it comes to carbon, it will destroy the family farm. Uh, listen, th- thanks for the opportunity to, to join with you today, John Paul, and, and uh, it's been a very heartening day uh, visiting um, across uh, Cork with, and on the invitation of my uh, party colleague Michael Moynan, TD. We started off this morning in the farm of Conor Sheehan and saw how he's introducing Wago beef and developing Wago beef just outside Mill Street and, um, uh, and then visited uh, Mill Street and uh, some of the family butchers that were there and I'm now in in Derrygold and uh, in, in Lombardstown, um, and uh, we're joined with Tony O'Sullivan, who produced a fantastic book on the history of the co-op movement here, uh, and joining with some of the Derrygold executives, uh, along with Michael Moynan, TD, and local councillor John, um, John Paul O'Shea as well, uh, again for a, a tremendous exposition of how dairy and how agriculture is driving the, the economy across Cork and, and driving and supporting family farms. And I want to give an insurance to farmers uh, and indeed to the wider public for whom the agriculture sector is so important to the local economy that we as a government will be fully supporting Irish agriculture in the years ahead and continuing to see it uh, develop and add value uh, and indeed add profit at farm gate level and indeed uh, drive local economies as well. I know it's a time of great change. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm engaged in my nationwide tour at the moment in terms of developing the next CAP program and CAP plan for the country, which will take us up to the year 2027. And obviously, over the next week or two as well, we will be finalising the climate action targets for all sectors of the economy, including agriculture. But I've been very clear throughout my engagement with all of the, I suppose, throughout my engagement with all other government ministers and at cabinet level of the absolute importance in terms of setting a target for Irish agriculture, which enables us to continue to do what we do so well and which we're an international leader on, which is producing that food we produce, uh, but also setting a target which allows us to actually uh, make our contribution in terms of lowering the overall uh, emissions footprint of the sector and thereby contributing to the overall economy-wide objective of delivering a 51% emissions reduction by 2030. But I'm very clear, John Paul, that in doing that, we can and will strengthen our agricultural sector. We will add value 
uh, to the, the, the food we produce because it will continue to be desired by people and consumers who buy it and want to see that it is produced in the most sustainable fashion possible. And it is possible to ensure that we do take several measures and adjustments and changes to farm practices will reduce the emissions footprint of how we, of how we produce the food, but importantly, uh, continue to produce that food. And how can you then support farmers if you say you're going to support them going ahead while dealing with the emissions? Some of that dealing with the emissions is reducing herd numbers. And in the last 10 years, farmers were told to expand their herds from around 2010 until 2020. Now they're being told to cut numbers. Initially, this was part of the Harvest 2020. So how can you support them when initially people were building new sheds on their lands and expanding their dairy herds? and expanding their farms for this Harvest 2020 and now it's gone the other extreme. We, we were told farming was going to really increase. Now we're cutting back. So how do you support them? Is it a case of getting the checkbook out? No, well, to be clear, we are not asking farmers to reduce their herd and I want to be very, very clear in that and there's been lots of different speculations and scenarios put forward over recent weeks and months in the run-up to us actually setting the targets for each sector of the economy. But is that not what the Carbon Committee came out with regarding climate change, that we would have to look at our herd numbers due to methane gas? What the Climate Action Council has proposed is an overall economy-wide budgetary target for the next five years and the following five years after that. They've outlined various possible scenarios for different sectors, including agriculture, but it will be the government that will set the targets for each sector and that's what I've been very much involved in over the last number of weeks and months So you'll be ignoring what they advise you? No, no, we we will be across the economy we will be absolutely setting um, sectoral targets for each sector of the economy which will achieve that 51% overall reduction by 2030 but what's really important is that it's proportionate those uh, t- uh, targets sector by sector are proportionate to what can be delivered by each sector. And obviously in the programme for government as well, it is very clear that the science around agriculture, the science around biogenic methane in particular, has to be fully taken into account in relation to setting those targets. So to be clear, it will be the government in the next week or two under the Climate Action Plan who will set the target, the overall target uh, for Irish agriculture. Um, and uh, I am, in terms of engagement, I'm very confident that, that target will be one that will enable Irish farmers to continue to produce the milk protein and the meat protein that they, they do at the moment, uh, but also uh, to significantly reduce uh, and uh, our overall footprint of how we produce that. Um, and taken together, um, by becoming more sustainable in what we do, but by, by continuing to produce the food, we will actually add to the value of that food. So if you take, for example, the Food Vision 2030 strategy, which was put together by all stakeholders across the agri-food sector, and which was, I published a couple of months ago, that, took, that strategy takes a, a food systems approach to how we will produce food up to the year 2030. It builds on the food harvest and food wise strategies that came before it. Uh, but it's very much about focusing on value, the adding value to our product over the next 10 years as opposed to volume growth. As you pointed out there, John Paul, the years, you know, from the removal of the milk quotas in 2014-2015 uh, um, uh, throughout the last decade, uh, the result, the, as a result of the removing of the quotas, there was a very significant expansion in the dairy sector in particular because it had been very constrained for 30 years before that. So the last decade saw significant volume growth. But this decade now will be a different one. It'll be about adding value and value growth. But that will that will drive the agricultural economy as well because it would add to the value and add to the profitability of the food we produce. And, and in doing so as well, ensure that alongside that, we, like every other sector of society, will be reducing the emissions footprint of how we produce that food. 
And then how do you propose to do this? Because this week the anger was about the national herd and about reducing the numbers. Uh, so if you're saying, and why it did come out from the Climate Change Advisory Council who did look at the herd numbers and said they need to be reduced due to methane gas. If that proposal now is going to government, you're saying the government won't implement that part of it regarding reducing the herd? No, well, well, well to be clear... Just now, to be clear on it, because there's a lot of yeah, confusion. To be clear, the Climate Action Council didn't say that we had to reduce the herd. It, it put forward various scenarios. Um, for and one of those scenarios was about methane, and that would and lead back to reducing w- the herd numbers. One of, the, one of those scenarios they put forward was one which would, lead, which would uh, be that we should cut the herd. One of those scenarios. But it will be the government that will set the course in this, and the government will, that will decide on what the scenario will be. And we'll be, we'll be publishing and finalising that and clarifying that under the Climate Action Plan in the next week or two. So you're not and cutting I, the National Herd so? No. And as that I, will never I, happen. We won't I, hear that, that again in two years' time. We, we, no, we, we, we will be reducing our overall footprint, without a doubt. Uh, there's many steps we can take in relation to how we do that, in relation to better soil fertility, for example, in terms of reducing the, the, the use of chemical fertiliser, also in terms of maximising the, 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 the use and the, the uh, utilisation of organic fertiliser, also in relation to how we uh, do breeding and, and adopt breeding programs in the years ahead, and also, for example, around um, a scenario, also if, uh, how we can bring into play uh, feed additives, for example. So what the Climate Action Council did was modelling. It didn't actually decide what the plan would be. The government will decide that. Each sector of the economy will have to make its contribution. Agriculture will, agricultures will be proportionate to what we can do. And the key principles I have brought to the table throughout the engagements and negotiations across with my government colleagues has been having a target which will enable us to continue to produce the food because we do it really well. We're a world leader. Our starting point in all of this is we're one of the most sustainable producers of food in the world. Um, we want to continue to do that. We want to become even more sustainable in what we do. We want to ensure that and how we produce that food is done in sync with the environment around us. It's done in a way that provides space as well for, for nature and for biodiversity, which is really important in relation to tackling the biodiversity crisis that we have seen emerge across the world and indeed in Ireland in recent years and decades. But it will, be about, it will still be about producing that food. Um, and, uh, and, that, and that's going to be really important. And it will be about how agriculture will make our contribution to the overall and economy-wide objective of reducing the or, or national emissions by 51% by 2030, which is really important, a really important objective for all of us to play a role in because... Mm. And I don't think any farmers had anything against that in fairness to the Minister. The farmers did not have anything against meeting targets or uh, becoming more green and you know being, playing their part when it comes to climate but I think they were worried over what was mentioned earlier on in the week but as you mentioned there, one of some of the best food that we produce is made here and produced in Ireland and you are in Kanturka later on this afternoon regarding consultations on the CAP proposals and you touched on it there. I mean this agreement from the European Parliament and the Council is on the new Common Agricultural Policy and within this again there's talks of a more fairer uh, a more greener and a more animal friendly and flexible cap Uh, but you understand uh, farmers are worried I mean I'm reading in the Echo uh, from this morning uh, the IFA Munster chairman I'm sure you'll be aware of Harold Kingston from Cormac he has said that people are worried about the direction in which cap is going to go there's a lot of anger and then from other farming sectors Dermot Kelleher of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association their president he says it makes no sense whatsoever to allocate so much money to the organic farming scheme uh, your view on that? Yeah, well, listen, I, w- I was talking uh, in person again to, to Harold and indeed to Dermot uh, last night in St. Garvin Mart where 
we had a very well attended meeting and a very thorough discussion in relation to the proposals that are on the table. Um, and uh, the, the important starting point, and I, I've been visiting counties, and, and, and by, by in two weeks' time, I'll have visited every county in the country and held a meeting in every county in the country with farmers in each county um, uh, to discuss the CAP proposals and in terms of ensuring that the, the CAP plan we put together is one that delivers for farm families over the next few years. Um, but the point I've made throughout is that this, the key starting point in which I uh, announced last week uh, with the Taoiseach and my uh, fellow minister, the Ministers of State, my Department Minister Pippa Hackett and Martin Hayden, uh, was uh, uh, the overall proposals for the various schemes and in, in particular, the budgetary allocation, which will be there for the next uh, number of years up to 2027. And I'm very grateful to my uh, um, cabinet colleague, Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, for really stepping up to the plate and backing farm families by increasing the funding allocation for CAP from the National Exchequer from 1.9 billion euro in the previous seven-year CAP program to 2.9 billion euro in this CAP, this seven-year period. That's an over a 50% increase in national funding to back rural Ireland and to back farm families and to back the rural economy over that period of time. Now, what that does is that gives me the capacity then as minister uh, to put in place various schemes with much more financial strength than had been there in the outgoing cap to support farm families. And through the various pillars, two schemes that I've put on the table, that 50% increase in funding is following through into the scheme. So, for example, in relation to support for the suckler sector, we'll be seeing uh, payments of, of up to €150 Euro per cow in the first 10 and 100, 120 on the remainder compared to the previous scheme and the outgoing cap, which had payments of €90 Euro for the first 10 and €80 Euro for the remainder. Also, a really significant new environmental scheme, which will pay up to a maximum of €10,000 for many of the participants. Um, and also significant on-farm investment schemes, significant support as well, as you mentioned, John Paul, for the organic scheme, where we're, we have a five-fold increase in the budget for organics, because that is something that we really do have to drive on in terms of our national agricultural uh, sector. Because we are behind we, uh, many other countries. Uh, we, we are not developing the market for organics in the way that we should. We, are, we are, have a tremendous... Uh, tremendously good starting point in relation to our sustainability or grass-based uh, uh, production model, unlike many other countries. But yet we, we don't. We only have 2% of our land area under organics. We want to increase that to 7.5%. And that's a really key policy priority. And that's why I'm investing in it as well. Uh, so that every farmer that wants to go organic will be able to do that in the time ahead. But it's alongside also support, significant support, additional support, for example, for our sheep sector, um, uh, uh, for ANC, for producer organizations and for, for knowledge transfer, and importantly for young farmers as well, where we're, we're increasing by 50% the amount that's set aside to support young farmers. And for the first time ever, John Paul, putting specific funding in there and uh, for, for women farmers to encourage more women to become primary producers and to take on the role of being uh, of the family of the family farm uh, but through through increased on-farm investment level of 60% for women farmers under the next So camp. you are looking really at encouraging farmers by this because I know a lot of the farming groups that have been on to us are concerned about the money that was given for sucklers as you mentioned and the sheep scheme but more so the reason why so much is given to organic farming schemes is because you want more farmers to go organic and go down that route you mentioned young farmers there a lot of people are concerned that farmers and young farmers won't stay because of what has happened within the farming industry and looking at the green measures they feel it's not really suitable for, for, 
them and, and they feel they're leaving the industry. So while you're no. putting money in for young farmers, the reality that we're hearing here on the ground is that young farmers are leaving farming because they're looking at this and looking at all these changes and they feel they cannot make money out of a normal family farm. They feel it's more suited to industrialised farming. No, it's, this cap is very much about supporting young farmers. And I say overall, the, the, there's a 50% increase and the funding is specifically set aside for them. The, the, the 1 billion euro increase in national funding going towards agriculture will support all farms and particularly young farmers as well in relation to the schemes that we are putting in place. And, I mean, Irish agriculture is built in our sustainable or green credentials or grass-based, unique grass-based grazing uh, farming system. That's the basis in which we've built up all the markets that we set our food into, and that's the basis in which we've strengthened all those markets. So by farmers... You know, farming in a way that reduces the footprint of the food we produce, we make our food produce even more desirable for the consumers that we're looking to sell it to. So, as I say, that Food Vision 2030 strategy as to how we develop Irish agriculture over the next 10 years was one that was put together by farmers' representatives themselves. And it very clearly outlines how over the next 10 years we will grow by taking a sustainable approach to agricultural production. We will grow uh, our exports from 14 billion euros a day. 21 billion euro by 2030 and that's the that is the future that's ahead for our young farmers and for all existing family farms and that's the future I am determined to put in place in terms of the actual cap plan that we will finalise by the end of this year that will support farmers on that journey and support family farms and family Okay, family so you, you are saying that there is a future for farming despite what people Without are saying on the ground. Uh, uh, I know time uh, is, is tight uh, for, for you, I Minister. Just, if, if I can just make one point. There, yep. Obviously, in relation to the Pillar 1 payments and cap um, and uh, the direct basic payment scheme payments, there is issues and thing, uh, things happening to direct payments, which is the main source of source of concern to many farmers. Um, it's under the European CAP plan. Every member state has to deliver a level of convergence, which is basically um, moving payments per hectare towards a national average. There's a requirement on every member state to deliver at least 85% convergence of their uh, payment uh, entitlements. That means that then within the, those entitlements, some farmers are seeing their income from the the basic payment scheme increase and some farmers are seeing the payment decrease. And that's where most of the, uh, obviously, challenges comes from in terms of those farmers that that's affecting. It's a defined pot. The pot stays the same, uh, but because of the requirements on us uh, from the uh, European Capital, it's the requirement of every member state to be able to draw that money. We must deliver at least 85% convergence, and that is certainly the biggest source of conversation and the biggest uh, the biggest uh, source of, of challenge for farmers that are affected in terms of their income from entitlements being reduced by that. Other farmers obviously are seeing their income uh, uh, from entitlements increase uh, through that. But listen, that's something I'm very conscious on, and in terms of how the government can work to uh, to address that, we are delivering that extra billion euro in Pillar 2, which is the, which is how we can deliver financially to farmers uh, to ensure that this cap is as strong as it possibly can be and backs family farming and backs rural Ireland over the next few years. OK, well, uh, just very briefly, two questions that have come in. This is from Anna from the climate change side of things. She's saying if we're not going to reduce so our national herd and it seems that things will go on as they are, even though they are saying they will reduce uh, the, the, the outputs in farming, in five years' time we have to further cut our emissions. So how can we deal with that when the advisory group are saying that you have to cut meat and you have to cut emissions and in five years' time we'll have to go further. Will you in the end have to pay off farmers because what Anna feels is like you're, we're being advised one thing uh, but while you were being green in farming you're not doing everything and she's talking about in five years' time. 
Well, we will be cutting our emissions. We will be lowering our overall emissions in the agri-food sector. But um, they, they will, feel not enough when you go to five years' time if you're not reducing well, the national well, herd. Well, well listen, it's, it's really important. And listen, we will be reducing methane as well. Um, there, there, there are various steps we will be able to take to do that, both through, through breeding improvement and also through uh, how animals are, are fed and managed. There, there will be redu- reductions in methane. But listen, it's important we continue to reduce the food. You know, I don't have anyone coming up to me saying, listen, you should stop reduce. you should reduce your food. I don't get that. I get people saying to me, yeah, listen, we want to see agriculture reduces the emissions footprint. Absolutely. Everyone agrees on that. But I never get anyone saying to me, listen, hi, uh, step back there, produce less food because we need that food, and we we make a significant contribution to feeding uh, and uh, to, to food production outside of Ireland as well as within Ireland. So the key thing is we continue to do that. Uh, the, the world population is growing; it needs to be fed. We do that really, really well. We're a world leader already in doing that. But it's important that, like every other sector of society, we reduce our emissions footprint. And uh, that's something that agriculture certainly will be doing in the time ahead. It's something I'll be supporting it to do, but it's something that will also make it stronger. Okay, and finally, and I don't know if you can actually answer this question or not, it might be very specific, but a texter here saying, John Paul, can you ask the Minister a question? Because with all the talk about carbon, in the townland I farm in, half of it is planted with trees. Now, our problem was down through the years, we weren't qualifying for the disadvantage area payment until a few years ago. We asked why, to be told, there was too much percentage of corn being grown in our townland area. And then we asked why was why why was this and why were they growing so much corn and they they could get it but we couldn't get it then we were told it was due to the percentage of forestry that that wasn't counted at that point then we got paid and we are being paid since but with all the rules and with all the cameras in the sky why did this happen that they did not count the forestry that that they were growing it wasn't counted in that is that just something that that can happen is it just an isolated incident or can this happen that people don't qualify for payments they should have well, there, there is an area of natural constraint payment under CAP, and that's basically to support uh, those on land that is constrained from, an, from a geographic point of view um, and that's not as, as, as fertile to be able to produce agriculturally on that. There's certain thresholds and criteria as to how you qualify. Um, that, and uh, one of those is the percentage of arable in a general area that's, or percentage of land that's under arable because that's generally an indication of how how strong and uh, uh, and how fertile that land is. It's it's not a perfect science, John Paul, um, but there is a, a process and structure in place um, which as to how that payment is calculated. So that's what that lady is referring to. There was a review done on it, on it uh, two or three years ago, um, and there'll be another review now in a few years' time. Okay, well, the best of luck in Kenturka later this afternoon, Minister. I know there is, and you'll be well aware of this, there's an IFA protest there, I think, this afternoon as well, and I'm sure you're well used to protests, uh, but nonetheless, um, best of luck meeting the farmers yeah, in Kenturk regarding thanks, the cap payments. It's at 2pm in Kenturk, Mark, and every farmer, farmers right across Cork are very welcome to come along and, and have their voice heard. And they can have their say on those uh, future cap proposals. For the moment, Minister uh, for Agriculture, Charlie mcconnell Look, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thank you, John Paul. Uh, your views are welcome on that discussion, 1850-333-103, or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. 
And Skibbereen will remember local people within a 10 mile radius who passed away during the pandemic and it's happening tonight at 7 o'clock this evening. It finishes with readings, songs and music in the Fairfield and there's still time if you want to include someone in this commemoration you can email their name and address to skibbereenmemorial at gmail.com but that is taking place at 7 o'clock this evening in Skibbereen. And Mallow Arts Festival continues this evening with art and photography exhibitions. They're going ahead in Hurley Centre, Mulcahy's Chemist and the Festival Office. An afternoon of poetry in the Mercy Centre at 2.30 and Mallow in the Rare Old Times by Mark Kent in the Hibernian Hotel at 6 o'clock. There is live drawing at 7 in the West End Art Studios and the one-woman show, Fruitcake, will be performed in the Hibernian Hotel at 7.30 and then there's a traditional concert with Alan Finn and friends in the Hibernian Hotel from nine. More information, you can follow them on social media at Mallow Arts Fest on socials and Kildallery Community Development. They will hold their weekly lotto draw and that's going ahead this evening at four o'clock in the community office and this week's jackpot is €3,900. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket will join us shortly. If you have a question for Jane regarding a pet in your household you can call Bernie now 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and our conversation there with the Minister for Agriculture Charlie McConnellogue on the cap proposals and indeed the carbon budgets that were mentioned this week first of all Donald says Hi John Paul what kind of idiots have we running our country a few years ago government was pushing farmers to increase productivity and farmers borrowed heavily and expanded for harvest 2020 now they want to cut production big time to save the planet given we are responsible for 0.1% of global emissions and now they want to put thousands of people on the dole and other countries will ramp up production you could not make it up well according to thanks to Donald for that text according to the Minister uh, that is not what they are doing and even though the advice given uh, to the from the the Climate Advisory Committee uh, it's up to government to decide and he's saying they won't reduce the national herd and they they won't go down the lines where they will look at reducing uh, carbon emissions from the agricultural sector, they're not going to go down the lines of ramping up, uh, let's say, other countries, letting them ramp up production because we're not going to reduce the consumption uh, here of meat. We won't reduce the production of meat. We won't reduce the national herd. Um, So the other countries... If they do ramp it up, well, that's just further competition. Uh, you know, according to what he said there, while the proposals were given to uh, the government, uh, it seems they won't be implementing it, which now has uh, environmentalists up in arms because they feel something should be done. Um, thank you, Donald, for your text. And Martin says, Hi, John Paul. When it comes to Irish agriculture and climate change, the government should not kill the golden goose that lays the golden eggs, says Martin. Uh, David is in Holly Hill. He says, If everyone in Ireland bought an electric car, it would not make a blind bit of difference to the world. We are only a dot in the ocean, and now the government want to reduce our national herd, while the Amazon rainforests are losing 40,000 football stadiums of trees every day, and they are putting cattle in there instead. So what difference will we make, uh, says David in Holly Hill. And again on that, I mean, he basically said they're not going to reduce the national herd. That, you know, the, there was different recommendations and that was one point in them, but it will go back to the government to introduce those. So uh, production will, on that level, 
from what I can take, is going to more or less stay the same while they look at reducing maybe the way things are done and reducing certain fertilisers that are put on the land, uh, the herds from from that is, is more or less staying the same and that was hinted by the way from a lot of backbenchers during the week uh, that they would go to government following what was given on Bank Holiday Monday from that Climate Committee and that they would ensure that farming could not continue in this country if things were going to change as drastic as that uh, and it seems they have. Uh, on permits uh, John says JP the government are now going to bring in non-EU nationals for HGV drivers, construction and hospitality and that is something we touched on at the very start of the show. Uh, John feels that surely among the eight 180,000 unemployed, mainly uh, many of those jobs could be filled by those surely on the social protection database that has some type of system whereby skills are in this database of the unemployed person and they should match them up with those jobs and then those people would be able to leave uh, the social welfare system and go and work, says John on text. And we mentioned social dancing a while ago and uh, Mike was on from Skibberine, not sure if they were all going ahead. He feels they're all cancelled. We were saying no there is a number of them going ahead not everybody is going to go ahead with social dancing but there is a number going ahead and Theo Park have been on to say that they are still continuing at Theo Park next Sunday music by Michael Sexton dancing is in a covered arena it's still very popular they say it's starting there at 2.30 and all proceeds that they make goes to the refurbishment of their community hall there Uh, that's happening in Theo Park so there is some social dancing sometimes outdoors sometimes in community halls but it is going ahead and your questions are welcome for Jane will be heading to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket next to join her. And a reminder, the Premier League Live is back this Saturday on C103.ie with Trevor Welch. It's powered by TalkSport. We'll bring you live coverage of Leicester City and Arsenal at 12.30, Liverpool and Brighton at 3 and Spurs taking on Manchester United at 5.30. The Premier League Live online with now stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen Saturdays on the C103 app or go to C103.ie. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, joins us for this Thursday as usual. Hi, Jane. Hi, John Paul. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. And I have a number of people who've been on to us and I know we touched on this earlier in the programme and last week. First of all, three says, Hi, Jane. Can you please warn people to keep their animals safe from fireworks over the next few days and always? And Brendan says, Warn people about fireworks and their animals every year. Our neighbour's dog goes missing. She runs around looking for him for two or three days. He always returns. But again, it's always to do with fireworks. We keep warning her, but people do forget. Uh, so a reminder again on that issue with dogs and maybe just to keep them safe inside in a house or somewhere in the garden anyhow uh, safely over the next number of days so they're not going missing again and we don't get calls here on Bank Holiday Monday or well, it won't be Bank Holiday this Monday usually it's for Halloween but we won't get calls saying our dog has gone missing and it's all because he was left out wandering You know it happens every year and these big bangs and fireworks that happen around this period of time are really really scary for our pets because they don't understand what's happening it's just all the noise and vibration happening out of nowhere they don't, they don't understand it in the context of it being Halloween. At this stage, what I would say is with it just being a few days around the corner before Halloween, it's probably a little bit late to be doing any kind of desensitising to noise techniques or, you know, getting on unmicrochipped pets microchipped at this point. It's really about sticking to the basics at this stage. Um, make sure that after dark for the next several days, your pet is locked inside with you, so safe and secure in a nice, calm household. 
If you need to take your pet outside after dark, so if your dog needs to go and pee in the evening, make sure they're on a lead. So make sure they're secure. It's really worth putting in the extra little bit of effort for those next few days while the bangs are going off and going out with them. Even though it might be cold and rainy, it'll keep your pet safe. Just make sure they're secure inside. Longer term, it's really best to make sure that your pet is microchipped. So if that's not been done already, you know, it's something to think about for obviously over the Christmas season with fireworks and into next year. But make sure it's a nice, calm environment inside in the house. Give them somewhere safe and calm and cosy to relax. So a nice little den type situation. Usually a bedroom or even their crate is a good thing because lots of soft furnishings generally kind of attenuate the noise a little bit. And maybe a little bit of classical music or um, radio on in the background to just kind of add a little bit of a hum to the noise of the house. But one of the most important things is just to make sure that you say calm yourself. Because our dogs will feed off our emotions and our reactions. So the calmer you stay and the more comforting you are to your pet, the more that they'll be reassured. Whereas if you're quite nervous about them being nervous, they'll feed off that and they'll go, oh my goodness, my mum and dad, is, they're really, really worried. So I definitely have something to be worried about. And that can sometimes perpetuate the, the anxiety that we see at this time. So make sure they're secure inside. Make sure it's really nice and calm in the house and give them somewhere safe to, to hide it out. Okay, so mind your pets uh, this weekend is the overall message there as well. And a text in here from a person who says, we have rescued a little Westie. We rescued him in April. Now, she has settled in great and we love her. And we have her potty trained, but when she gets excited or nervous, she pees inside. I don't think she knows it, so I don't reprimand her. I just clean it up. Now, she was abused and from a puppy farm dog initially. And this is just, they're wondering if this is just a fear or anxiety thing or could it be a medical issue is there anything we can do we give her praise when she pees outside but I don't think this is relating to potty training so they got her from a rescue centre and initially this dog was abused from a puppy farm Okay well first and foremost well done for rehoming and kind of responsibly taking on a new pet and giving them a second chance but it actually really sounds to me like you know, most of this kind of peeing when we're getting excited or nervous is most likely behavioural, given that your pet is otherwise well in themselves and pees outside normally and is kind of fully potty trained when they're calm. So peeing when you're nervous or excited for a dog is generally what's called a submissive behaviour. So it's a way of them saying, you know, I'm no threat to you. There's no need to be worried about me. So generally when it's when they feel kind of nervous or anxious in a situation and just want to let everybody know around them that they're not a threat. So I think our our listener here is doing the very best thing they can do in this situation, just cleaning up the mess, reassuring their pet. So, you know, the really the worst thing to be doing in this situation would be reprimanding them or kind of making any loud noises. It's really best just to, you know, clean up the mess, forget it happened, reassure your pet. As your pet settles, which it sounds like they're doing really, really well and you're kind of working hard on and making sure they're comfortable, it is likely that the behaviour might subside as they become more secure in their new environment more kind of behaviourally secure and gain some confidence you may find that things settle down so really well done it sounds like you're doing exactly the right thing just persevere and I'm sure they'll settle in nicely And another Jane in Mallow wants to know do you know if there's any cut price scheme to get dogs neutered at the moment or is that just usually in the spring? Uh, Do you know at the moment and for the last several years as far as I'm aware well, at least in my own locality, that hasn't been the case. There hasn't been any kind of neutering voucher schemes, unfortunately, at the moment. Now, they do come around and sometimes appear out of the blue and there's no real predictability to when they're available. 
it is also worth asking just in your own locality with your own vet if there are any schemes running local to them because sometimes they can be quite regional. It's not usually something that's kind of quite widespread within an area. So ask your local vet. But to my knowledge, certainly within my local area, there's been no schemes like that, unfortunately, for the last few years. Okay, and Jane also has another question here and we've uh, just a minute to go on this. Uh, So it's an old male cat she has, very thin, uh, always looking for food. But then when she gives this cat food, he won't eat it. Now, he only has three teeth and he has been checked by the local vet. So any advice on how she can get him to eat? Okay, so if he's been checked out by the local vet and they've given him the all clear, it might be worth trying different types of food um, particularly if he only has three teeth left I suppose if your vet is happy that those three teeth are, are better in than out so they haven't got kind of ongoing dental disease then that's fine and it may just be dietary modification that may be helpful it might be worth speaking to your vet again just flag the current issue because I suppose you know as, as dogs and cats the situation can always change I would be tempted to try a soft food in this situation but I really think it might be worth just letting your own vet know that you know they, although we're very very hungry we're not comfortable eating because that might change things a little bit so it's best to let them know Okay Jane well thank you for that and you join us again uh, next week have a good weekend and we'll chat to you next Thursday you too. Thanks, John. Take care, Jane. That's Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And that's it from us. We're back with you again tomorrow morning from 10am where we will be discussing the issue of dog fouling and why we should have our dog's DNA registered. Cork County Councillor is raising that issue. We'll discuss that. Also, we'll be speaking with Mary Crilly from the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. This is a warning trend that was across the UK, now has reached Ireland. A warning to women to what watch out when you're out in a night out particularly now at night comes back because drinks are being spiked that and more tomorrow morning from 10am have a good Thursday I'm John Paul McNamara Want flexibility? Take yoga Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company They offer flexible budget-friendly medical, dental and vision coverage that may be right for you More at UH1.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.